Hey, this is Alex from Los Angeles. And this is Karan from San Francisco. Welcome to Movies That Shaped Us, a journey of self-discovery through a shared love of film. We are two longtime friends who grew up on opposite ends of the globe with very different backgrounds, but we're both shaped and are still being shaped by the movies we see and love. In each episode, we'll cover a topic around important movies, places, events, and moments in our lives, and then explore it through three of our favorite films. We hope these movies and topics are fun and revelatory to you, just like they've been to us. So with that, Alex, what's our episode for today? So our episode topic for today is movies that shaped our sense of humor. Now it is, it is April and we were thinking of what, what does April bring in terms of holidays or notable days and April Fool's Day came to mind as, as what we think of when we think of April and that led us to comedy. Um, so what we're going to be doing today is talking through um, the comedy movies that kind of shaped this sense of humor for us. And it was interesting to me, like thinking about this, um, and then I'd love to hear kind of how you approached it just mm -hmm. in uh, kind of realizing that comedy and humor is such a subjective and personal thing oh, yeah. um like it really does speak to you, what you find funny is very different from what other people find funny and what you find funny is very important to you too like humor can play such a big part in your life and, and, and in many stages of your life um, whether it's you're already happy and it makes you happier or you're in a bad mood and you just want something to, to lift your spirits a little bit um, and it was actually, I found this episode to be the most enjoyable because I got to watch movies that I found really funny, um, go back and rewatch them. I, I actually haven't done a lot of comedy watching in the last couple of years, just with a lot of things going on and just not really in the, much in the mood for it. So some of these films that I had watched dozens of times growing up, I just been on the shelf for a long time. So it was really fun for me to kind of like get into a better mood <laughs> and watch them again and laugh and just shows me how too how important like laughter is. Uh, to to what life is um, but yeah the, the biggest thing for me was that subjectivity piece uh, what about you like how did you think about it or think about humor in general yeah no totally been a subjectivity part and I think this will be very apparent from our lists and it's indicative of who we are as people which is you know, yeah. fun part of the, doing this podcast obviously um, I guess yeah my framework was really peeling the layers of what is my sense of humor in general? And I'd love to hear yours as well. And how does that map to the movies? So my sense of humor is, you know, a little bit dry, a little bit self-deprecating, but it's very much rooted in the real life. Like I don't really have a much, a big sense around, oh, this is a big gag moment. Those happen and those are laugh out loud funny or can be, but I've always been of the, opinion that humor is kind of woven in your life in the day-to-day -day. you know mm -hmm. you don't have to really step out of it you ha you can if you want to so that's sort of one thing and I think that's reflective in the movies that I picked as well um, and then last thing I'd say is that from a, from a film standpoint for me it's been very important that no matter how funny a movie might be it has to be rooted in truth I don't respond very well to set pieces specifically to get a laugh you know, sort of oh, a bunch of guys writing a bunch of funny lines. I can sort of see the writing room when mm -hmm. I watch a movie like that. And it, I, you'll, see, you'll see me just sitting there with my arms folded, which is probably not great. But, but for me, it has to be rooted in reality and truth. 
Um, and so what about you? What, how would you describe your sense of humor? Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's, a, that's a good question. I mean, I definitely like very dumb and goofy humor, but at the same time, <laughs> I, I feel that you can do dumb things and have very, very silly and irreverent um, jokes, but they can also say something and be yep. uh, make comments, uh, whether it's you know political comments or satire in life, or that there's sort of a point to the humor. And that point to me also is, is important that is rooted in some like positive or good heartedness. Like a lot of mean humor, I don't really respond very well to. Um, I, it's, to me, it's very important on, in the structure of the joke, like who is being made fun of or being mm -hmm. called out or what is being called out and made fun of um, is, is really important to me in terms of how my humor developed. Um, and, but definitely like it's a lot for me around like dialogue um, very much around written sort of jokes um, and that being more important than let's say a visual comedic element. Um, though mm. those can be funny, but for me, it's a lot more about that. Um, and it was very fascinating actually going back to these movies for me because I kind of started with like, what do I find funny today? And why do I have certain types of comedy I gravitate towards and not? And I kind of traced it back to the three films we're about to talk about. And it, it really it did have a very meaningful impact on me. Um, I mean, now whether I was funny in these ways and these films reflected that or they actually shaped where my comedy came from. Like, I don't really know, but these are definitely the genesis of uh, mm -hmm. the different types of, uh, of humor that I find uh, very funny um, still to this day. Mm -hmm. That's the other important thing. And I'm sure we'll get into that towards the end of the podcast mm -hmm. that are these movies still funny today or no. And I think mm -hmm. in a lot of other episodes that we've had, you know, because we're telling a chronological story often of our development as people, we both have picked movies that we probably don't like that much today, but they're right. still important as part of kind of whatever theme we are following. I think this was the hardest episode for me to actually put a movie that I found funny at, at a certain point in time, but I don't find it funny anymore. I right. couldn't put that. Because mm -hmm. I think there's something about the connection and relationship you have towards humor that if something is not funny now, it doesn't matter to me if it was funny to be, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, it's not funny anymore. I can't put that on the list. Right. So this was a little tricky in that sense. No, totally. That, that's true. I mean, th there definitely were films that didn't make the list that yeah, that did shape me at various times, but I don't necessarily go back to or might not find as funny as I did when I first saw it. Um, but the three films that I have, like, again, going back and watching these, some of these I actually watch more than once because I'm like, man, it feels good to laugh and then watch it like three times in a row um, back like what I used to do as a kid. Uh, but I still, you know, laugh at every single one of these and maybe even more so than I did when I first saw them. So, uh, yeah, maybe with that, we can start jumping into the list. So why don't you start with your number three movie that shaped your sense of humor? All right. So my number three is this movie called To Be or Not To Be from 1942, directed by Ernst Lubitsch, starring Carol Lombard, Jack Benny, Robert Stack. And the quick IMDb logline on this is, during the Nazi occupation of Poland, an acting troupe becomes embroiled in a Polish soldier's efforts to track down a German spy. Um, the logline actually doesn't sound humorous at all. <laughs> and I, I'll maybe speak a little bit about how I even came to this movie. I had watched other movies that Lubitsch had done, you know, uh, Heaven Can Wait, Shop Around the Corner and such in the last like 10 years. And then I knew this was a movie that was, you know, well 
revered and talked about, but I came to it pretty late in life and it, it kind of blew me away. Uh, I'm actually not a big satire or gimmick person. Like I said, I find those movies interesting, but not funny. This movie is a farce, uh, but I think why this is on the list for me is because I think it really highlights the power of laughter in bad times mm -hmm. and that bad times can also be funny. It's how life is. I, I have so many moments of, you know, in sickness or what have you sitting outside, I don't know, an operation ward at the hospital when a family member is in there and you're sitting outside with another family member and through the tears and the tiredness, somebody does something stupid, like, I don't know, say something funny or farts or whatever, and you just crack up. That is the power of laughter that it, it can sort of seep itself anywhere. And I think this movie does a great job of doing that. Um, and I think the key to it is that the farce is, is rooted in reality. I don't think anybody else but Lubitsch, who's famous for his light touch, can actually make this movie work, at least for me. Otherwise, this will become very heavy-handed or maybe too preachy or maybe too sappy or maybe too whatever. But it's sort of it's this delicate dance between, on one hand, you're feeling bad about all the stuff that's happening, but then you're also laughing the, the other moment. And I think the key to that is the bad people are also part of the buffoonery. They are also silly and kind of human in their own way. And, and it's not to sort of make them endearing, like it's very clear who's in the wrong, but there's sort of this light touch and sort of tightrope walk that he does with all these characters. So I don't know, I just find that more than laugh out loud funny, but just charming and just so clever and, and, and fun. Um, I think the cast is a big part of this. Carol Lombard is just incredible. She, I haven't seen that many movies of her, maybe mm -hmm. a few, I clearly need to kind of do a full binge on her, but she's electric, uh, brilliant comedic timing. And again, with a lot of these movies that I have on my list, you'll notice that it is about the individual people who are funny, but to me, it's more about ensemble pieces and how people are reacting and being funny with each other. So, you know, you have these two distinct worlds of the Jews and the Nazis, they are buffoons in their own ways. Mm -hmm. You bring them together. What happens when they are brought together in this weird farce uh, of there being a lookalike uh, to Hitler and there being this sort of drama company behind it. So again, a brilliant, kind of storytelling device. Uh, you could say that this is Hollywood kind of, you know, patting themselves on the back around, you know, art is important or what have you, but I actually do believe in that. And maybe that's why this movie works on me, that art is important and it matters even in the bad times. And at times it can save us from mm -hmm. the worst of things. So there's a little bit of that message. Uh, if you want to take it, but if not, you can just have a good time uh, in a bad time, uh, which is, I think, amazing about this movie. It's been on my repeat watch list. I've seen it several times. Um, so yeah, that's my number three, to be or not to be. Yeah, so I had never seen this movie or actually heard of this movie before uh, that you put on this list. Uh, and 
I, I was very pleasantly surprised. I, you said laugh out loud at some point in what you were saying. And I literally, the first 20 minutes of this movie are hilarious. Like I was literally laughing out loud. <laughs> so many of those gags in the beginning. I mean, Hitler jokes are always funny. Yes. Um, th- that, that line when uh, they're doing like the Zig Heil and it's this joke of like just repeating how goofy that whole Nazi salute is. And then the Hitler, so like Zig Heil, hail Hitler. And the Hitler's guy's like, hail myself. I literally laughed for like five minutes at that. Um, so, and, and, but then when I looked in like, wow, this movie was made like during World War II, like Hitler was still alive. Yep. They're actually poking fun at the Nazis, um, which was, must've been very ballsy and very hard as an audience member at the time to even see that. It's like, oh, I, you know, people over there, right. In, in the war that are getting killed by what Hitler's army is doing. And yet you still are able to laugh at, him and the, the goofiness of well, Hitler kind of reminded me a lot of the, um, the Looney Tunes cartoons at the time too. We're doing a lot of the mocking of Hitler and the enemies of the United States. Um, and that just immediately like pulled me in. Um, I thought the dialogue was really sharp, which is something oh, yeah. that I also uh, like a lot of dialogue driven humor. Um, very reminded me a lot too of a sitcom as well. Like the mix up with the, um, there's like a plot thread of the Nazi spy. And then there's also this love triangle comedy bit with mm-hmm. uh the the wife and the, and the husband and this other guy who's trying to uh mm-hmm. you know court the wife um it did it felt a lot like i was watching you know some of, of lucy or something in a good way i was like wow this is maybe that's where this comes from the whole thing also reminded me a lot of uh like mel brooks too which then i went to found that he remade this movie or yeah. he was in a remake of it um in the 80s I'm like oh now i kind of get where a lot of his com- comedic sensibilities came from so yeah, I mean, I felt the the film, the beginning of it was a lot funnier than when it, then it turned into more like a conventional spy kind of espionage thriller. But yeah, overall, I, I would recommend this movie. I mean, I found it, again, I laughed out loud. And I love that too. And you can find movies from the old time, like this is from made in 42, right? And that it's still that funny, which is something I love about humor as well. Like it's something that doesn't um, always date itself. Like something that might have been funny a hundred years ago is can still be funny now if it if it's done in the right way by real comedic artists. And this movie really helped remind me of that. I'm like, yeah, like it's not any time you can make a funny movie. Um, so I thought this was great. I really enjoyed it. I'm so glad. Yeah, I mean, I would say as the movie goes on, even then the buffoonery continues. Like that whole scene when you're worried that the guy who's pretending might get found out with the fake mustache. Oh yeah. 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 The I fake mean, that whole sequence is just so incredible and so clever. But then again, sort of going back to the light touch on mm-hmm. one hand, you are biting your nails is going to get caught. Then the other hand, you're like, Oh my gosh, Christ is awarded. This is great. And then of course they make the wrong move because the guys show up there to, to save him and we're sort of back to square one. Yeah. So the high stakes in that 10 minute time period is just so amazing and done in such a funny way. Yeah, I forgot to mention about the fact that this was made and screened when the actual war was on. Yeah. I can't even imagine like the optics of that, the impact that must have had on people. And it's truly kind of going back to my point of movie of laughter being this drug in the mm-hmm. bad times this movie is literally that because it was made in that time. Yeah. And it continues to kind of, you know, give more and more. You can, you know, swap the bad times from Nazi times to whatever times you want. Mm-hmm. But it, it makes this movie a little bit more weighty because it was made when this was happening. 
Yeah, which I think is it speaks to the power of comedy too. That yeah. uh, you can kind of do that kind of thing and maybe say some things um, th- because you're using comedy when at a time when Hitler was still a major, you know, evil in the world who was yeah. wreaking all this havoc, and yet here this movie comes out where again there's Hitler jokes in the first five minutes, and I was like, I was like, this is hilarious. And then when I looked it up, I was like, wow, literally during the war. And that yeah. is something that is so, it's, you know, I'm not say it's easier to make Nazi jokes now, but you can make fun of Hitler and it's, it doesn't have pack the same weight because he's dead and it's been, you know, decades. Um, so it just shows how uh, bold this movie must have, uh-huh. uh, must have landed. I mean, it's very funny. Definitely recommend it. And again, sort of very light. I think that's sort of the brilliance of this. This mm-hmm. movie could have in anyone else's hands would just come off as I don't know, something else. Um, and we'll probably get to in our honorable mentions, other movies and other filmmakers who have done satires or whatever and can push it a little bit too much in one direction, at least for me. Um, but anyway, what is your number three? Cool, so my number three movie that shaped my sense of humor is 1989's UHF. So this is a film directed by Jay Levy, uh, starring Weird Al Yankovic, Victoria Jackson, Michael Richards, and Fran Drescher. And the IMDb plot is an unemployed visionary becomes the manager of a local television station. The station becomes a success with all sorts of hilarious sight gags and wacky humor. So this is a vehicle for Weird Al Yankovic, who is a artist, um, recording artist, also comedian. Um, he does uh, song parodies as well as other funny songs that he writes himself. And I first saw this movie on uh, VHS in the early 90s. I'd already known about Weird Al at the time and actually didn't even know he had a movie. Um, you know, as a, as a young kid in growing up in the late 80s, especially as a, as a, as a boy, uh, Weird Al was definitely a big uh, influence over, uh, you know, kids on the schoolyard, everyone talking about Weird Al Yankovic. He definitely spoke to uh, kids a lot in terms of his, his nature of humor. And, and for me, the reason why this film, I, as I was looking back over my sense of humor now and you know, where I can trace it back to, the fact that this, this humor in this film is very good natured, coming from a good place, um, but then also still like making, punching up essentially at the, at the bad guys in this film who are like the last film you talked about are also portrayed as, as goofy and funny, mm-hmm. um, but the expenses are never taken at the, the, the jokes are never at the expense of the main characters. Right. Uh, but there's also a very, uh, this movie's really dumb, very goofy. Um, there's a very fine line between stupid and clever. And I think Weird Al walks that line in his music and then definitely in this film too. Um, there's a lot of big sight gags of, uh, you know, with at this uh, TV station that they're at, there's a lot of satires and parodies of different types of TV shows that they're now putting on, um, par- movie parodies. I mean, there's definitely that wheel out, Weird Al parody flavor in this. Um, but again, all the humor for me was always something that uh, was very good hearted, which is important um, to my sense of humor. There's also a lot of very good quotable lines in it, which is something, too, that for me, as I looked over my my humor, you know, mm-hmm. the, the type of humor that, uh, you know, I like I identify with was a lot of these cult humor where there's a cult forming around a personality or a, a particular film where you can quote those lines and it's kind of like you you're on, you're on the inside like you know the inside jokes because you can quote these lines from UHF and you can talk to other Weird Al fans and talk about your favorite bits so there's this social aspect of connecting with other other fans 
Um, but because this movie too was notoriously a big box office bomb, um, it was not looked upon as, as popular at the time, that it sort of made it a little bit irreverent too. Like, oh, I'm cool. Like I like UHF <laughs> and got it. I got the humor and who else got it with me? Um, so there was definitely a lot of sense of that too, where a lot of my humor comes from not more like giant mainstream comedic stars or um, uh, comedic uh, films that were very popular in the States at the time. There was always some little edge to it. Um, and that edge was that cult element of it. Um, which I think this movie exemplifies uh, really well. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, this movie just, again, I watched it, I think twice in preparation for this. Um, just, it'd been a long time since I've seen it. Oh, and also too, I think, you know, with the musical element of it, there's a couple, uh, you know, there's one musical parody sequence. It, it made me realize too, that that is also a very big part of my sense of humor. I gravitate towards uh, movies or shows where music comedy is a big part of what it uh, what it's trying mm -hmm. to do. You know, South Park always has, which is a show I like. A lot of musical elements in it. Um, their their films, the Tram, uh, Trey Parker, Matt Stone, who did South Park. The South Park movie is a musical. Um, Team America, another film they did a lot of music in that. You know, Spinal Tap, A Mighty Wind. Um, these are all movies that music is a core part of it because I just find music comedy very funny, um, and I think that this movie was a big part of that as well. Um, so yeah, still, still find it funny to this day. Still love Weird Al Yankovic. I'm actually seeing him five different times uh, on tour this year, on his tour, five different shows. Um, so I'm still a big wow. fan of his. And uh, yeah, this, for me, this movie uh, is still one of, one of my favorite comedies, but then also d is a very important part of why I feel like I find certain things funny today. That's, that's awesome. Well, I didn't even know that he was still alive. So that's good to know. Oh yeah, no, he's alive. He's had this biggest, he has first number one album a couple of years back and he's almost wow. bigger than ever. It's actually amazing of how every generation of kids, he finds a way, at least in the US, like a way into being like their favorite guy for a period of time. It's almost like a rite of passage. You go through this weird owl phase as a kid wow. um, and just he's able to have that stain power is just phenomenal. That's um, amazing. So I... I had heard of this name, but I never watched or heard anything of his until oh, okay. watching this movie. So I'm very glad that you put this on the list. I mean, I can so picture it that if I had gotten into this person, say at our age when you were, you yeah, know, yeah, at like eight, eight, yeah, this would have stuck with me for sure. It's kind of a different kind of experience you know getting in getting to this at age 40 right because <laughs> uh, it is very goofy it is very dumb mm -hmm. i will say though that i was not bored at all i was invested there is something about going back to my thing of sort of the truth behind mm -hmm. what the character is trying to seek there's something about that aspect that comes across and maybe it's the music, maybe it's his hair, who knows? <laughs> There's a lot at play. And I think that kept me very invested in, in his journey and you know, uh, the janitor and everybody yeah. who's sort of around him. I don't know if I laughed out loud, but I think that has to do a lot with when are you meeting this person in your life? Right, um, right, right. You know, um, that said, it was super clever. Uh, all the gags and parodies, not all of them landed on me because they're obviously referencing shows and such from right. a time that I was not watching those shows, but a lot of those did make sense to me. So yeah, I'm, I'm actually now excited to watch more of his stuff or listen to his stuff because I this is my first intro, but I'm very glad that I watched it. 
Yeah, no, the, I, I never really thought about this as a, if I were to introduce someone to Weird Al Yankovic, would this be the first thing that they see? Because if you yeah. haven't even heard of any of his famous like parody songs, um, yeah, that's interesting that uh, just, yeah, curious now, uh, or that was very interesting to me to hear what you were saying in terms of how he landed with you as a comedic personality. Um, and I think this movie perfectly exemplifies that. So, you know, I don't think this movie is an, a misnomer in terms of what you get out of his music. Like his, him as an artist, he expresses himself in a similar way through mm. his music and his, uh, in his stage show and the different TV shows that he's been mm. on too. Mm. But uh, yeah, no, it, it must be, um, it, it definitely is a movie that as a kid lands really well. And it's hard for me to, to understand how it would look like uh, if I had only seen this movie at 40 and not at eight and then dozens of times after it. But uh, yeah, no, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad you were engaged and, and found his, his character charming. Yeah. And face there's kind of a sweetness to him, you know, yeah, which is right. very endearing. And even though silly things are happening to him and he's doing silly things as well. And you're, they're cringeworthy moments and all of that, but there's something sweet, which I think is important to your point on, you know, not making humor at the expense of others, but there's also mm -hmm. something to be said about the person who is making the humor. What is their mental makeup? Right. And I don't know. I gravitate towards people who are doing silly things who are also sweet as right. opposed to, you know, mean spirited or sharp. And there's a place for that, you know, I'm, I'm all for dark comedy as well, right, but, right. but yeah, there's something sweet about him. Yeah. He has this innocence and childlike wonder to him yeah. that, that is, yeah, is very endearing. He's, it's very endearing, no matter, even though how dumb some of the humor might be around that. Um, yeah. I, I do find it uh, very endearing, unlike, you know, some of the mean spirited sort of like fairly brothers films don't really take right. to me. Um, I had a very big issue with Bridesmaids, uh, the film that came out maybe like 10 years ago, as just being very mean spirited where you, the humor is not coming from a good place. And I think a lot of that goes down to, like you were saying, the personalities um, of Weird Al, just like he's basically a kid. You know, he has that same mentality as an innocent kid and that's how he looks at the world and that's what the humor comes from. Um, and that is something that I gravitate towards a lot. It just makes me feel good. Like it, that childlike wonder comes back yeah. in his gags and in, in, in his comedy. Yeah. I have a different take on bridesmaids, but we'll save that for another podcast. Okay, sure. <laughs> okay, okay, why don't we move on to the number two for you then? All right, so my number two is Radio Days from 1987, directed by Woody Allen, starring Mia Farrow, Diane Weist, Mike Starr. Uh, gosh, what is the kid's name? I'm forgetting the main guy who plays him. Seth Green. Seth Green, yep. Um, so this, oh yeah, the log line, sorry, I should read that just for folks who have not watched this movie. Um, but it's a little bit of an autobiographical movie of sorts on Woody Allen's life. But log line says, a nostalgic look at radio's golden age, focusing on one ordinary family and the various performers in their, in the medium and in their lives. So I put this movie on the list kind of referencing to what I was saying earlier about how humor is sort of part of day-to-day -day life. And it's, it's humor is and laughter is in the mundane things that you do every day. Mm -hmm. And there's, some, there's something about that quality that is captured so beautifully in this movie. And I was, there's like a long lineage of movies that, of this kind that I love, you know, from Albert Brooks to Mel Brooks, well, not so much Mel Brooks, but Albert Brooks, Noah Baumbach to some degree, Greta Gerwig, even Mike Nichols movies. But 
I think it all traces back for me to Woody Allen movies because there is sort of this borderline thing of nervous wreck, paranoia, self-doubt, self-deprecation, but also something that's very real and mundane. Like the stakes are pretty low, but it just somehow feels very day-to-day. And, and I, I really gravitate towards that kind of humor. There are set pieces, yeah, mm-hmm. but they are, again, very rooted in reality. So, and this is probably my favorite Woody Allen film for those reasons. I mean, there are other more sort of everlasting or perhaps more brilliant films or earth shattering movies in terms of what they achieve, like Annie Hall and such. But I don't know, this is the movie that I watch the most often uh, that he's made, probably also because he's not in it himself, which helps. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, I think a couple of things to kind of highlight here, which is, first of all, I think it's a very brilliant storytelling device of using radio programs and setting that in a certain time, because you can sort of go in and out of various radio stories that are A, happening in your life as you're listening to that those programs, but also the stories that are being depicted in the radio program. So there's just such a great canvas that's offered and available. And I think he taps into it so beautifully. There's so many movies of this kind, like including French Dispatch from last year, which I really like, but it's too dense to actually parse this kind of anthology movie. And I think this is the way to do an anthology movie in my mind, where you weave in the anthology with sort of the the storytelling device. Um, But to highlight a few things, um, there's a great sort of tragic arc that's happening here of multiple people, some trending up and some trending down. So Diane V's character on B, who has this kind of through line of just being this tragic person who's always trying to find love. Mia Farrow's character who's like a nobody and sort of scales to being somebody. Uh, And through these two arcs, you're seeing it from the point of view of this child who's looking at both of these people and just mundane silly things are happening in their family all along and I don't know I just find that super endearing I love the juxtaposition of the sad moments and the funny moments because that's again how life is like this is one episode where they're listening to a program where this girl has fell into a well and right before that moment the whole house is in like a total ruckus because you know the little boy has done something wrong, the father is running around him to beat him up and it's sort of, you know, high energy and such. And then you cut to the radio program of the girl having fallen in the well, then you find out that she's actually dead. And then you suddenly see the father is holding the son so tight because he's appreciative and just grateful that I have this great child in my life. Mm -hmm. And then right after that, they are off to something super silly and funny with the fish in the house or the relatives during a Jewish holiday, you know, one of them sort of going to the neighbor and eating all the stuff that you're not supposed to eat as a Jew and that it's all happening within, you know, a course of hours, which is again, how life is. And I just love how the laughter and the sadness is kind of all woven through it. Um, I don't think my childhood was anything like this, but in many ways, I don't know, when I watch this movie, I'm reminded of my own childhood of just sitting around, eating stuff, making fun of each other, 
putting on a new album, dancing to it, literally me and my sister and my mother running around the house, <laughs> you know, making dance moves to whatever new song that's come out. Uh, so I don't know, I, this movie is sort of very close to my heart because it feels a little bit like my own growing up, which had a lot of joy and laughter, not specifically laugh out loud moments, mm -hmm. some, mm -hmm. but to me, this is about just the everyday funny uh, moments of life. So yeah, that's Radio Days, number two. So, so you said this is your favorite Woody Allen movie. When, when did you see this? Just, I'm just curious. Yeah. Um, like, was this early on in discovering Woody or? Later. Uh, I would say I watched this maybe 10 years ago. Oh, okay. For the first time I'd seen, you know, the classics. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. sort of going down the rabbit hole to seek out more of his works. And I was like, oh, this is like, it sort of hits the perfect tone for me. Interesting. Yeah. So I had never seen this movie before. I'll, I'll probably sound like a broken record over time to the <laughs> listeners, but I have to always caveat, not a Woody Allen fan, never been mm -hmm. a Woody Allen fan, not because of his personal life, putting that aside right. as a comedian and artist and a filmmaker, I've just never really liked him. Um, so I've only seen the the ones that you you know have to see like Annie Hall, Manhattan, yeah. Bananas, like that the bigger ones. So this is one that I had heard of but had never seen. Um, and I think you, I had the same reaction that you did in terms of the type of humor that this is. I've, I I sort of was trying to vocalize it as like folksy nostalgia humor, yeah. where it's it's sort of basically just old tales that then you tell and then uh, you know they're funny. Um, it reminded me a lot of a, uh, a, speaking of radio, like a radio program that my parents used to listen to that I just did not like at, at all. <laughs> Prairie Home Companion. It's Garrison Keillor, who's like this uh -huh. PD, uh, public radio personality, but a lot of the same stuff. It's just stories that are then supposed to somehow be funny um, that I just never found funny. And like this movie, I thought was a capsulation of that type of humor that just never landed with me. Um, I don't know why it just was never something that like I found <laughs> the whimsy and the folks of, I was like, eh, I don't know. I just don't find it funny though. I will say that I did laugh at one line, um, that, uh, Larry David is in this movie who I'm a big fan of Larry David. I was like that line. He has one line in the film, his face isn't even in it. And I'm like, that was, I literally laughed. I'm like, wow, that voice sounded kind of familiar. And then I like Googled it and he ended up being it. It's when uh, you referenced this earlier, when the father goes over to a neighbor's house, yeah. Um, to tell them to turn down the music because it's the, I don't remember if it was a Jewish high holiday or just the Sabbath and you're not supposed to touch any electronics. Um, and the neighbors were like communists and it's like, oh, the communists go over and tell them to turn the music off. And he goes over there and, and you can just hear Larry David because uh, the guy's trying to explain, oh, it's a Sabbath. You're not supposed to do any work. And Larry David, who's like the communist, I'm not going to do the joke justice at all, but he was like, uh, it's like not do any work. You should always be working for your fellow man, you know, because he's a communist. And I literally laughed for like five minutes at that. I'm like, that is really funny. So that was the only time I, I laughed at, at the film. I also found it was kind of distracting that um, Marge Simpson's voice is in this. And it was, she's the mom. I, um, and she plays Marge Simpson on The Simpsons. Oh and I could gosh. not get, every time she's on screen, I'm like, oh my God, like it's Marge Simpson. And she sounds exactly the same. It's not like she's putting a voice on on The Simpsons. So I was like, whoa, this is like very weird seeing her, you know. Um, that would be very distracting. It, it I was getting distracting. I haven't so, watched too much of Simpsons, so that, that didn't yeah. strike me. But, oh, gosh, that would ruin yeah. it for me. I'm not even, like, a big Simpsons fan either, but it's just, like, that's so in the zeitgeist. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, with the film overall, I, I do think it is a perfect um, 
expression of that, you know, genre, that like folksy humor, whimsical humor genre. Um, and it, it did the ending of the movie kind of did it actually affect me. I thought it was quite sad. I mean, I kept kind of took away the message of this film is like, we're, we're, we're taking you back to a time that does not exist. And all these people and all these players, um, you know, the radio as a comedic art form was such a big thing, maybe for Woody Allen growing up and definitely for the character in this film. And this movie came out in the 80s after, you know, radio was definitely supplanted by television. Um, and now that's even been supplanted, I feel like, by YouTube and the Internet in terms of where people get their comedy. Um, and there's sort of this message of like, you know, these people are forgotten. And he's trying to like say, no, let's remember these, these people that are now completely forgotten by time. And I was even thinking in a meta sense, like this movie too, you know, with it not being one of his major works, with Woody Allen becoming more problematic over time for various reasons, this film is almost going to be in a sense kind of forgotten. And it, it felt sad. It's like, as we're all going to be forgotten in a way, yeah. I'm not to make our humor episode a little bit <laughs> sad, but it's like, you know, everything returns to dust in the end. And I felt you know, that was what all of a sudden got me in this movie, the very like last five minutes when he sort of makes that point, which I think the movie was trying to say that the whole time. And then right at the end, he's like, oh, you know, and I just want to, you know, uh, send send these people off who are now going to be forgotten forever uh, because that's just the way that time goes. And I was thinking, wow, yeah, like this movie will be forgotten at some point. We'll be forgotten. Maybe our podcast will live on forever. Who knows? <laughs> Maybe in 3000 years, people will be listening to this. Uh, but yeah, I thought that was poignant. I will say like that actually kind of affected me emotionally. Um, but yeah, overall, not did this movie had one laugh and I, I didn't really take to it very much. But, you know, it wasn't boring. Um, it just wasn't my type of humor. Like we're talking about uh, subjective uh, humor totally. before. Definitely. Like, this was like an example of a humor that I, you know, just doesn't doesn't yeah. speak to me. But I'm, I'm glad I saw surprised. it, you know. I'm not surprised. Yeah, I would not, I would not picture you <laughs> laughing. And to be fair, like I don't really laugh at with this movie, but uh -huh. it's sort of more in the comfort food kind of right. category for me. Right. But I have like a smile on my face. And every once in a while, you know, I'd I'd sort of that the smile might become wider or I might yeah laugh out loud that's sort of what happens but yeah. I've seen it a couple of times now or more than a couple of times and it's funny about the ending that's one takeaway from it for sure what you said to me the takeaway is also because I don't know I am a bit of a nostalgic person like nostalgia mm -hmm. does work on me so to me it lands in a different poignant way which is to remember the simpler times if you will mm -hmm. you know the time that I was talking about me and my sister, my mom running around at home. When I think about that, I'm transported to a joyous place instantly, mm -hmm. which is not to say that you don't look ahead. You don't, you shouldn't, I'm not saying hang on to the past, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, I do believe that you can bring joy and laughter to your life by just commemorating and recognizing the happy time that you had in the past you know mm -hmm. i don't know that that does work on me yeah yeah that's nostalgia definitely this whole film was the a nostalgia play for woody allen it seemed like going back to his his youth and highlighting something that no longer exists and maybe for me i latched on more to that of like it worked for him because he lived through the radio radio days, you know, title of the film. I mean, I was, did not grow up at all listening yeah. to radio, you know, was not a, a child in the, at the time that he was. Um, but so it made me did think about my own, yeah, you know, like you were saying, sort of my own childhood, um, even though that's gone and you can never get it back. Um, and all you have is the memories. And then when you pass on, then those are even gone. 
exactly. uh, which is kind of the darker tone that I got from the very end of the movie. <laughs> but it did, it did. I was like, wow, like that actually affected me because it was funny throughout the whole rest of the film. Like, I don't care about this. Like, I don't have nostalgia for this. Like, so nothing, all this rings hollow. And then once I realized in the very end, it's like, oh, he's just making a meta point of like, yeah, this is his nostalgia. Isn't yeah. yours, but you have your own. Everyone's got their own. own. And and that is like, oh wow, okay. Now, okay, I get I get what he's trying to say. Yeah. Um yeah. 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 Like I to me, it was like, you know, every time a new audio cassette tape, we're talking about audio cassette tapes, mm -hmm. would release of like a favorite song. It was me and my mom, my sister going to the audio cassette store, buying the new audio cassette, yeah, the shinily packed thing you know, big smiles. That, that's all I wanted to buy. I had no other needs and demands. I just wanted the latest audio cassette track or whatever new movie soundtrack or whatever had come out, coming back, putting that on the entire afternoon, listening, listening to it on repeat yeah. multiple times while snacks are being brought out or mm -hmm. what have you. I don't know. It just takes me back to like a really happy place. And I think this movie does that to me. Nice. So, so your movie would be called Cassette Days. Basically. If you were doing this. Nice. Cool. <laughs> All right. What's your next? Um, so my number two movie that shaped my uh, sense of humor is uh, 1964's Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. And this movie directed by Stanley Kubrick, starring Peter Sellers in uh, two roles, uh, George C. Scott and Slim Pickens. The IMDb plot summary is an insane American general orders a bombing attack on the, the Soviet Union triggering a path to nuclear holocaust that a war room full of politicians and generals frantically tries to stop. Um, so that logline actually could be a, could have been from a thriller. Yeah. Um, but this, this movie is a comedy. And, and when I first saw this film, I was pretty young. I don't remember exactly when I saw it. It was definitely before I knew who Stanley Kubrick was, who's now my favorite director. Um, and it was the first time I remember seeing a movie that was, I was told it was a comedy. I think my dad was the one to show, oh, you should watch this. It's a famous comedy. And I'm like, how, for, I was watching this, like, how is this a comedy? Like it was my first exposure to kind of satire and this dark humor um, and this realization that comedy isn't just like UHF <laughs> movie yeah. that I mentioned earlier with people falling down or getting sprayed in the face or, you know, getting their finger cut off of blood flying everywhere. Um, it can say really important things. Um, so that was the first thing that really like surprised me about this. And it actually is very funny. Like as there are definitely bits in this film that are genuinely funny, but it does have a dark edge and it's that satirical edge that really influenced me, um, a lot. And a lot of the humor that, that I like, um, is humor that deals with very important and, and major topics. It's kind of interesting too. This film was based on a book that was a very straight laced, thriller about what would happen if you know in a nuclear holocaust really? and wow. this book was adapted and kubrick and and his screenwriters you know decided to turn it into a comedy but no one remembers the book like that thing is completely forgotten but this movie lives on even now even though you know i mean hopefully we don't live under as much of a threat of nuclear war um as they did in in 64 um but you know it still resonates and i think that to me when i uh, realized that I was like, wow. So this shows really the power of comedy. Like you're making a very important statement about um, uh, humanity, uh, about the systems of power. Um, something else that I thought this movie does a great job in that also influenced me a lot too was the making fun of authority. Like there's no authority figure in this movie that's not like a bumbling idiot and who's not really yeah. silly. 
And it shows to me that you might think, oh, this is the president. Like we must trust him or these are the generals. They're very smart. They know what they're doing. In actuality, they know nothing and that they're just as much of buffoons as, as anyone else. And in fact, the, the most like kind of straight lace kind of by the books people are the, the infantry men or not infantry, the right. soldiers that are flying in these bombers and they're just carrying out their mission, um, which also then does make you think about like what, um, you know, it's a mission, but a mission to destroy the world and how they can go about it in such a straight laced way and just a matter of fact way. Um, there's definitely a lot of, of humor and also commentary in that. Yeah, so for me, those are definitely the biggest takeaways of the importance of comedy and in terms of what it can say and what it can do while still being funny. Um, and then also that uh, the, the authority figures are the ones to be mocked, <laughs> that we should be mocking and making fun of these authority figures, saying the emperor has no clothes, calling them out on that, um, and using humor to do it is a much more effective way th mm -hmm. than anyone else. And there's a lot of layers to this film we could dissect it in many different ways, but I wanted to kind of take one piece out of it, which is the comedy element, and talk about that and how important that was uh, to me. And, and again, I still watch this movie now and, and in a way find it more funny because I'm older and have, have seen some of these systems that this movie mocks uh, and, and see the, the ridiculousness in them a lot more as you grow up and really see that, yeah, not only are these people dumb, but a lot of these whole systems that they've designed actually are pretty silly too. I mean, the whole crux of this film is um, the, a, a, a system that got designed where if uh, a bomb was yeah. dropped, then all yeah. of a sudden all the bombs are just going to go off. And it was designed um, by the uh, by the Russians as a as a failsafe mechanism, and yeah, it might make sense on a on paper, but if you really think about it, it's absolutely ludicrous. And I think that's what this movie does such a good job in uh, in conveying, and something that definitely affected me. And not only the types of humor that I gravitate towards now, uh, but just even like politically and and how I think about society and and authority. Um, I think this movie was a big uh, big influence on me there too. So yeah, again, a lot more I can say about this, but I want to keep it just to the to the comedy element. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, just just a great a great film and still really holds up, I feel. Yeah, it, it totally does. I'm so glad you put this on the list and I kind of had a feeling that you would. Uh, I'd never watched this movie before and I always wanted to watch it. So I'm very glad that cool. I watched it. Yeah. I, I think I said this at the top, which is I, I find satire very engaging and it pulls me in but I can't laugh. Mm. There are moments in this movie that are definitely, I, I, I laugh because they're clever, mm -hmm. but there's something about, because satire, good satire, satire is very real. Right. I, right. I, find, it, I find it hard to escape from the reality. Mm. That said though, if this movie was done as a non-satire or as a thriller, like you said, I don't think I would be as engaged in it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I might be, but in a very different kind of way. Be, I'll be engaged in it in a cerebral way. Mm -hmm. Versus I think what dark humor does in this kind of a setup is that it, it exposes, like you said, the craziness and, you know, idiocy of people and systems. Right. And that's the part that gets really highlighted, which would not be the case if you made this as a thriller. You know, you would be concerned with other things. And right. that's the power of the movie. So yeah, it's brilliantly made uh, in every technical department, acted beautifully by everybody. It really pulls you in. It stayed with me for days after. Maybe if I watch it you know, more and more number of times, maybe mm -hmm. I'll laugh at it or laugh with it. But on first viewing, it's too real. 
And ah, that's okay. how I react <laughs> to all satire, satire yeah. in general. And that's why I think I was happy to see to be or not to be in this one on both of our lists. Mm-hmm. I can get into the farcicalness of to be or not to be because it's kind of handled with that light touch that I was talking about, which gives me enough of a distance and escape from the reality mm-hmm. that I can actually laugh with it. This sort of feels too in it for me to actually laugh. So, but I get it. I get it. This is funny. And I'm, I'm, I'm all for calling bullshit and I'm all for right. calling on authorities as you very well know, we have similar oh, yeah. sensibilities in that regard, but, yeah. but yeah, this is, this is not funny to me. Oh, interesting. This is very engaging and pulls me in. Yeah. Like I, I feel that it's, it's definitely a fine line that, yeah. you know, I feel it kind of walks well of you are laughing along with it. And maybe it's easier for me to say that now. Again, not this wasn't 1964 when I saw the movie. Actually, similarly to be or not to be, actually, you know, this movie was made when this could have happened. Yeah. You know, the Soviet Union was there. Bombs were ready on either side. U.S. could have done it. You, you, Soviet Union could have done it. And this, and but they made this movie um, at the, at a time when yeah, it right. probably was pretty unsettling for the people in the audience. Easier for us yeah. to watch now, where it's not as much of a of an issue as it was. Um, but uh, yeah, it's like, for me, kind of like what you were saying too, about the thriller aspect of it, it just like, you wouldn't catch the fact that the premise of nuclear war in and of itself is kind of funny, if you really think about it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what this movie uh, walks so well, especially the end when the whole world blows up. Um, yeah. And they play the, uh, the We Will Meet Again song on top of that is just, yeah, I, I laugh at that. But I get also why it's hard to uh it's it's a tough needle to thread and if, if satire is not something that that um is usually in your cup you know is, is your cup of tea um that uh, at least you liked it <laughs> and you found the movie to to work um uh, i just yeah on a, even on a technical level like ken adam who did the um production design that war room set is one of the oh best sets i think i've ever seen in anything and cinematography right amazing like- how the where the camera is positioned how the whole thing is lit up it's just brilliant yeah. and of course this, it's kubrick and he you know uh gets the best people so, yeah. yeah yeah no he does cool okay well i think we're now to your number one movie that shaped your sense of humor all right so my number one is the bird cage uh from 96 Directed by Mike Nichols, starring Robin Williams, Nathan Lane, Gene Hackman, Diane Weist. Two Diane Weist movies on my list. I just realized that. Interesting. Uh, but a quick logline, a gay cabaret owner and his drag queen companion agreed to put a false straight front so that their son can introduce them to his fiance's right-wing moralistic parents. Um, so this is sort of my kind of laugh out loud movie, I would say. And I think to me, this is like, I've been talking a lot about, you know, humor being rooted in reality, the day to day, or even the bad times. This is, it's still very much rooted in reality. So for sure, otherwise it would not be funny to me, but it's definitely camp. It's definitely heightened. Uh, But I think the reason why it's funny is because it is rooted in reality. I think there's a great amount of world building that happens here with so much of detail where you have the heightened gay reality of a drag club and the people who operate in this area where apparently everybody wears a thong, no matter what. I've never seen this much thong on- It's Florida. 
That's yeah. what they do. It's Florida. That's their I would think. state attire. I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. And then there's the heightened kind of reality of the right-wing Republican, what that, which is Gene Hackman and Diane Weiss and that clan. And then the comedy is definitely in the craziness and idiocy of these people individually, but the comedy is really in when you bring these people together. I mean, that dinner scene, which goes on for a very long time, I think is one of the funniest scenes or parts of a movie ever. Uh, I, I've seen this movie a million times and I still laugh at it like crazy, even though it's very campy and heightened. But there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a strong emotional core at it. And I think that's what you're seeing. You're seeing people who are different from each other. You're seeing people who are you know, looking for love and there's something very real about that. They're fighting their own insecurities. In Nathan Lane's character, who's afraid of going, getting older uh, and not being attractive anymore or not being relevant anymore. Uh, the Robin Williams character, even though he set up this, this whole drag club, which apparently does pretty well, he still has sort of one foot in quote unquote classic masculinity and sort of struggles with what is it to be gay when you're maybe not stereotypically gay, what does that mean? Um, and the same goes for the, the Republican right-wing people. Uh, they're still insecure. I mean, the whole box of chocolates detail is just so funny to me. Like all Gene Hackman wants to do is eat chocolates when life gets tough. Um, so I don't know, I, I, I just find this movie hilarious, but of course it's Mike Nichols. So, you know, it's not, a shabbily done comedy camp movie. It's shot by Chiba, which is amazing. You see that from the first shot as to how the camera pans, oh, yeah. you know, into Florida. And there's just so many great details from the dinner table scene, how the camera is moving all over. It just is shot beautifully. The whole cast is amazing, except for the sun, but I'll give him a pass. Everybody else is incredible. Uh, Elaine May wrote this movie. There's like a million one-liners in this movie that are just so funny to me. So yeah, this is sort of my sort of if I'm if I'm in a bummed out mood and if I want to get out of it, this is the movie I put on. And there's something about I don't know dressing up weird, which is funny to me. It always has been. For the longest time in my life, I was kind of scared of drag queens because they they felt very, I don't know, tall and sort uh -huh. of, I don't know, scary Imposing. to me. Yeah. yeah. And over time, I think my way into that has been, this is so ridiculous. And I think there's something about just a funny nest that comes with dressing funny. There's a lot of great physical comedy humor, which is another one of my things that I really enjoy watching mm -hmm. on screen. Not just in life. There's, I mean, this is silly, but it's pretty funny when somebody trips over. I do find that funny. A Pratt fall is classic. Yeah. yeah. Slip on a banana peel, fall down. You can't, nothing funnier than seeing someone nothing else fall funnier. down. Exactly. So I think this movie has a lot of that imbued in it. So yeah, that's my number one, The Birdcage. So I had seen this movie kind of in the 90s. Like it was uh -huh. on TV, a big Ron Williams fan. I remembered seeing it at some point, like in bits and pieces in terms of never sat down and watched it. Right. I was like, yeah, I've seen the birdcage. It's funny. Like, you know, seen enough of it. Um, and then I watched it for this. Um, yeah. And I, 
it was, it was, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out a way to, how to, it was hard to watch. Really? Um, yeah. I, uh, I found it, um, very grim, like mean spirited. And it, I just couldn't get over the, the, the setup being, yeah, mean spirited and just nasty. I found the entire movie very nasty. Um, the so. son, I just could not get yeah. over what an evil yeah. kid this was of like, my dad is gay. He's accepted it. The son I think has in the film, but he's asking his dad to hide who he is. And then also, I mean, they weren't married because gay marriage wasn't legal back then, but basically kick his husband, I'll call him husband, out of the house and shame him and say, you know, what? I'm embarrassed of the person that you're in love with. I don't ever want to see this guy. Get him out of here. And you know what, dad, I want you to lie and erase everything of who you are, which, you know, they dim into his background a little bit. He struggled with coming out a little bit and he seemed incredibly insecure and sad. Ron Williams' performance, it just left a, a wounded soul is what I got yeah. out of him for this entire film. And like the son is just like kicking him when he's down. And it just, I couldn't get over that. And the film letting the son win in the end, like he gets the girl, he gets married. It even ends with a freeze frame of like him smiling. It's like the villain just won. And I couldn't, <laughs> I could not get over that. Um, yes, there were also a lot of really like problematic and dated moments with like Hank Azaria, sure. who, you oh, know, yeah. he's kind of like the Rob Schneider where like every character he's done in his entire career, like should have gotten him canceled at any time. You know, in this film, he plays a incredibly like effeminate uh, Hispanic, even though he is not gay, nor is he Hispanic at all. Um, and so, yeah, there were a lot of problematic elements that I could sort of like look beyond just because it did come out, you know, in the mid nineties. But uh, yeah, I had a really, really hard time with this movie. It actually like affected me for days afterwards. Oh um, it, it shook me to the Robin Williams core. I, I literally was like, uh -huh. is this guy even funny? Like it, and who's one of my favorite comedic actors? And it really did shook me. I mean, it was, it was an experience. I, I will say that, um, that, you know, <laughs> I researched, what is this? Where did this movie come from? Okay, it's a play that was written in France in the early seventies. I'm like, okay, well, maybe that could have landed then in that context. But yeah, I had a really hard time with this movie. Um, actually the, the only laughs I found, I think Gene Hackman's character was actually very funny. Um, very he was funny. the only one that I felt had a heart actually. It's like his, you know, he's supposed to, he or he's not supposed to be, he's like the bigoted, um, you know, Republican, like you mentioned, who's against gay marriage, but, but I got from him and maybe it's just the performance of the fact that, that I like Gene Hackman. It's like, he was only doing that for votes. Like he didn't yeah. he had a kind heart. He yeah. didn't, you know, which, you know, I'm not saying I'm, I'm defending people that, support bad policy even though they don't believe it in themselves but there was something about his character that i sort of like within the beginning of the film they were cutting between the miami stuff with nathan lane and, and ron williams and then the gene hackman bits where he's dealing with his uh, running mate um who's he's gonna run for president his running mate was just caught in some sex scandal like him dealing with that and i'm like i just want to see that movie like that movie's funny and like kind of warm-hearted and this other movie is just very <laughs> depressing and dark and grim and just nasty and all the people just yeah i just really had a hard time with this and i was trying to think too like what the lesson that we were supposed to get out of this like did anyone learn anything in the message of the movie like that was i was trying to i was struggling with that because yeah. it had such a had such a visual visceral like impact from having watched this it was like getting hit by a train it was crazy oh, boy. um oh, boy. but i'm glad i saw it because again like <laughs> i would have told you yeah i've seen this before and it was funny you know because i watched bits and pieces of it in the 90s but yeah this this was a tough one um so I, maybe you can help me. Like, what do you think the message 
like, did anyone learn anything you think in the movie? And like, what was the message of the movie that, that you take away from it? Cause I was just trying to find like what that was supposed yeah. to be and maybe help me understand like, you know, what the filmmakers yeah. Were, or the, yeah, were trying to say, I guess with this. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I would say I'm not surprised by that reaction because there is definitely a way to look at this movie where that part sort of yeah. just hits you. And that's why I said, even in my description, that the son is problem. Bad guy, sure. really bad guy. Really yeah. awful guy. And yeah. I wish they had imbued a little bit more humanity and it's also a really bad performance. Cause you know, I get it. He's a 20 year old, you know, kids right. are selfish. They don't really know better and what have right. you, but I think it's played really poorly where everything he's doing comes off as really mean spirited and right. sort of serious, you know, mm -hmm. as opposed to a kid who doesn't know what they're doing and they still right. have a good heart, you know? So that part is a big failure of the movie, but mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe I've just watched this movie so many times that yeah. I've just ignored him. I just don't <laughs> pay attention to yeah. him. I'm just yeah. concerned with the rest of it all. Because if you remove him, the rest of it is is pretty funny to me, the way it's yeah. done. Problematic in many ways, for sure. Yeah. But, but then I'm also reminded of the time where this movie was made, right? Like, this is still the 90s. And I know. Yeah. the fact that this is like a mainstream movie directed by an oscar winning director yeah. with this cast yeah it, it is an achievement for his time for sure you know of course if you look at it now this is like oh my gosh this, this is like full of problems so i give it yeah. a little bit of that too yeah but going back to your question of the message i think to me the message is that these people who are supposedly very different mm -hmm on the surface of it, you would never even see them in the same room. Here they are, they've gone through this entire night of dealing with each other and frankly exposing things of each other that were actually not true. Like you said, like mm -hmm. Gene Hackman is probably not bigoted. Uh, yeah. And maybe there's some things that even Nathan Lane's character is trying to sort of emote that he is totally, he, he does believe in sort of the quote unquote sort of maternal, simpler mm -hmm. life of, you know, man and woman building a home, what have you, there are elements. So to me, the message is that people might be very different on the surface, but they're still more alike than different. So that's mm. one. Okay. And then number two is sort of the grand sort of the finale of, you know, the guys, uh, the Republicans who are so supposedly polar opposite at the end of the movie, walk out and drag. And and that and the way that they all work together to make that happen, to me is sort of the cherry on the cake. That mm. yeah, if you do get you talk to each other and see each other and see past your differences and see the commonalities, you can join hands and make something work. Now, what they're trying to make work is the marriage of these two idiots. So, you know that's probably not the best outcome. So, right. but if you don't, I don't focus on that outcome. I, for the mo whenever I watch this movie, I actually never get to the wedding. Mm. I just shut it yeah. when they walk out of the drag club. Cause to me, that is the end of the movie that these people who are so different join hands and created this moment together. And in a way, comedy and humor is a part of them getting to that place because being in drag is sort of funny to begin with you know mm -hmm. 
So that's the message to me. Okay. The final outcome is not the marriage. Nobody cares. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I just had a yeah really hard time with this. Um, but you know, I slogged through it um, <laughs> and then had to do a bunch of uh, you know, a little Robin Williams, you know, chasers to remind myself that this guy can be funny and is a good comedic uh, actor. I just stuffed myself with a bunch of Robin Williams movies to, to be like, oh yeah, no, this guy is, you know, he's funny and, and warm and and sweet. But uh, uh, yeah, again, like I'm glad I'm glad I actually sat down and watched this movie. Um, even though, you know, it, now I have a campaign to get it banned off of HBO Max. Um, but uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but no, it's uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely glad that I that I saw this. Um, and uh, yeah, just interesting uh, to kind of go back to a movie that was again, like you said, in the mid 90s was a huge commercial, um, critical, like across the board, like a very known and, and famous film. Um, so it was very well recepted back then. I just had a hard time with it now. But uh, <laughs> yeah, glad I saw it. Definitely glad I saw it. <laughs> All right, what's your number one? Okay, so my number one film is uh, not Monty Python and the Holy Grail from 1975. So this movie was directed by Terry Gilliam and Terry Jones, which are two members of the Monty Python comedy troupe, and it stars the rest of the Monty Python comedy troupe. Um, the uh, logline on IMDb is King Arthur and his Knights of the Round Table embark on a surreal, low-budget search for the Holy Grail encountering many very silly obstacles. Um, so this movie for me was an easy number one. Um, this impacted my sense of humor more than really anything else. Definitely any other movie um, got me into absurd, you know, wry, witty humor, very dialogue driven humor, uh, very subversive as well. Um, and I am a huge fan of British humor and it can be traced back to my love of this film. Um, like now, most of my favorite TV shows that are comedies are all out of out of the UK. Um, a lot of my favorite movies, comedic movies, all come from also the UK. Uh, this movie got me into Monty Python and a lot of other, um, you know, older British uh, comedy shows. Um, and I, for some reason, I've always been identified with that type of humor. And in, in much of the way that I just described it in terms of what British humor is. Um, so it can be silly and dumb, but also there's that layer of smartness and commentary um, the other thing I love about this film too is how it's also like making fun of the film itself. There's like this meta uh, commentary on it. Um, the opening credit sequence, uh, they're playing the credits and then they have subtitles, Swedish subtitles, and then they apologize for that. And, and they're oh, we fired the people who made the subtitles. We fired the people that did the credits. It's like, there's this meta commentary going on throughout the entire film. And even at the end, the movie ends because the cast gets arrested for one of the cast members killing somebody else on screen. Um, so it's that very irreverent kind of like fourth wall breaking um, experience is a humor that now I also really like in terms of uh, how meta it is. And, you know, Monty Python has influenced over so many different types of, uh, you know, uh, different shows and movies. And I've grown to love those shows that are very influenced by them, you know, like a South Park, Rick and Morty, uh, Mitchell and Webb look like there's all these shows that I like that they're all point to Monty Python as their heroes. And I think that's also then now why you know, this movie to me um, was the one that kind of got me on that, on that path. Um, so yeah, I mean, much like UHF too, there was definitely like a, it's a very quotable movie. Um, so there was a cachet in high school and junior high um, about the people that could quote Monty Python and no Monty Python. And yeah, there's also kind of a bit of um, a, like a clickiness and a, and a snootiness about that too. Like, oh, you're not, you're not into Python. And yeah, I'll, I'll admit I was one of those people. Um, but, uh, you know, that cult humor too, much like UHF, that was a big part of, uh, 
my kind of gravitating towards that type of humor. And this movie was, you know, like I said, a, a big part of that. So uh, I, I watched it again for this part. I hadn't seen it in a very long time because uh, I haven't been watching comedies very often. But another movie that the second I put it on, I just watched it three more times because I'm like, I'm laughing. Wow. I can't stop laughing at this. And it's still funny to me in, in the same way it was back when I first saw it when I was, uh, you know, probably uh, 12, 13 uh, was exposed to this uh, just on TV. And then friends just coined it all the time. So I'm like, I should probably watch what this is. Um, and I, I still find it find it funny today. So, yeah, this one had to be the number one for me. Um, if simply just for the British, uh, the British comedy angle, that is, is how I for sure would define my humor. If I had to put it in a category, it'd definitely be uh, be British humor. So <laughs> had to be number one. Yeah. Um, I was glad that you put this on the list because I had never watched this movie. And frankly, I have not watched anything of Mon- Monty. Python. Yeah. So clearly, I was not. I would not be a part of your click. Work. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'll be and I'll be like thank you very much right uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah you can go off with the cool kids and we're like the nerds in the corner quoting money python yeah <laughs> but yeah I think you were a better man than I was in at least sitting through the birdcage I I could only watch 15 minutes of this movie 15 minutes that's all really maybe I need to get back to it you on a do. different day yeah because I love British movies and I definitely uh-huh. associate myself with that kind of humor. But I think there's another layer of silliness and maybe the medieval setting, which is also not my thing at yeah. all. I just, there's something about those costumes that maybe that's why I've never watched this movie because I must have seen posters. And I'm like, oh, hell no. <laughs> never watching this, you know, yeah. or maybe in 20 years. So I, I, I don't know. This is... I just, this was too silly for me. And maybe again, it's sort of, you know, at what point in your life are you getting to this? Maybe could, yeah, that I've could be it. gotten yeah. to this year earlier in my life and sort of grown up with it. Probably this would have stayed with me and I would have just seen more and more layers, like you're saying. But now it's sort of, I'm only meeting this movie at a surface Mm-hmm. And that's just too silly for me. Or maybe I just watched it on a bad day. Who knows? Or watched only 15 minutes of it. But uh, Or that but yeah. I should have moved past it. Just didn't, yeah. didn't have the courage no, it's, to yeah. go further. Yeah. No, I mean, I, yeah, I, I suffered through the birdcage. So I know. <laughs> I think you're, I mean, that, that movie, I was depressed for about three to four days after watching that. Oh, it was that hard of a slog for me. Like oh, a piece boy. of my soul got taken away after watching that. So uh, yeah, I, you, you can get through Monty Python. It's like 90 minutes. Um, but had, so had you not seen, so you haven't seen like Life of Brian or any of the show at all? No. Any of the skits? No. Just on YouTube or something? Oh, interesting. Never seen anything of were, theirs. Were, were they not popular like in, in India? I just was surprised just with a lot of the British influence that this wouldn't be something that was like floating around a lot. How interesting. Maybe it was, but somehow never entered my home. Like, you know, there's definitely Mr. Bean and, oh, yeah. you know, a lot of that sort of stuff that was in my household, but for whatever reason, not this. So mm. I don't know, I guess blame it on my parents uh, <laughs> why this was not in my house. But yeah, I don't know. It's just, just too silly for me. Interesting. Well, yeah. like we said at the beginning of the episode, humor is a very subjective yeah. thing. And, and I exactly. think we definitely found our, uh, <laughs> the, the point of, uh, yeah, the, the, the definite, that, that encapsulates it so much just in our, in our first two or uh, both of our number ones. 
Exactly. Uh, but definitely, like it's a perfect encapsulation of that. Yeah, because there's more overlap that we had in our, you know, threes and twos uh, right. versus our number ones are definitely, you know, polar opposite. Um, and, you know, I also think there's subjectivity to humor, but it's all, humor also is all about, like you said, you have not watched a funny movie in a while because you just haven't been in the headspace. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of that at play here as well, where mm-hmm. you, humor can land on you in weird ways if you're not in the right headspace. That's true. Or, so I don't know, maybe on a different day, the birdcage or Monty Python land differently or how maybe not the birdcage not the birdcage (laughs) i don't think i can stomach that movie again (laughs) probably not yeah yeah and i guess i'm not planning on watching right i thought in 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 anytime soon either but i i do want to give monty python another shot though at some later point because you know they're iconic and a lot of the stuff that i love that came out of that country Mm -hmm. i know it sort of you know owes it to this so for that reason alone, I, I feel like I, need, I should give it another shot. So yeah, maybe maybe Life of Brian is a is a better one for you to swallow, which many think is there a better film. Okay. Um, but I saw Grail first and actually find it funnier, even though Life of Brian is uh, saying a lot more important things just about religion, society. It's it's definitely more of a of a message moving this one. But uh, yeah, no, I think this was a good. Uh, I like that our number ones kind of went back to that that thesis about how just, again, personal humor is. And it is, I think, one of the more most personal things that, uh, that exists in terms of tastes in, you know, genres. Um, you know, people either love or, like horror, for example, right? You either love it or you hate it. And you mm-hmm. might, you know, have specific flavors in it, but everyone loves to laugh. So everyone has a type of comedy that they like. And it just really depends on the individual um, and their life experience and what they find funny. And you can't describe it to the other person yeah. either. Like I couldn't, if we sat down and we watched Birdcage together, I don't think you could like explain why I would laugh at something. It's just not something you can do. I mean, academically you can study humor right. and definitely be very objective about it in that sense of like destruction of a joke, but to try to explain why something's funny or to help someone like, explain the joke so that they laugh, just, you can't do it. It's just something uh, about the, about the person. Um, yeah, no, Absolutely. And like we said before, too, I think it, I think timing matters a lot. Like yeah. there's a reason why they say comedic timing, but there's like a meta-ness to it that when you're meeting something in your life and mm-hmm. in your in your day-to-day, it really has a lot to do with how something will land on you. And yeah, you- yeah, yeah. And the context, too. I mean, I think yeah. the thing that's interesting about, um, or at least two of my choices, UHF and, and Holy Grail, now, I've watched those movies with my friends before, but it was something where I watched it on my own, but then we could talk about it and, and redo the jokes. So there's like that social aspect. Right. Seeing a comedy alone is something that, uh, you know, without other people laughing around you, it just, you look at it a little bit differently, I feel like. Um, yeah. uh, so that, I think, plays into it for sure. Like you said about sense of place, right? You see a, a big comedy in the theater opening night, everyone's laughing. And then sometimes I'll, I'll laugh a lot too. And then afterwards, I'm like, you know, that movie kind of sucked. I don't know why I thought that was so funny, but it yeah. was just the context of what was going on in, in the audience. Or maybe you see it with, uh, with a friend who like, it's their funny, their, you know, the funniest movie to them. So they're laughing throughout the whole thing. And it sort of like helps bring you along a that's little it. bit. Um, yeah. So it, it definitely, that's a really good point you made about, um, you know, it is a lot about timing and place when it comes to humor. 
Yeah, because I'm remembering, I think I watched The Birdcage the first time with my mom and a bunch of other people. Mm, a group they setting. They were really into it. It was yeah. a group setting and it sort of has stayed with me. This I, I saw people around me sort of falling off their chairs, laughing. Um, yeah. And that has stayed with me, which is probably why I've sort of masked a lot of the things that I intellectually know are problematic or mm -hmm. not good i just i yeah. just omit them right. they don't land on me anymore <laughs> yeah no yeah. for sure and, and and with this and a lot of other humor too this movie but just humor in general like there is a lot humor can be get dated in certain ways right. and kind of going back to like well at the time this may or may not have been you know found funny or acceptable it's just that changes a lot too like humor does evolve yeah. over time just in terms of the cultural zeitgeist as well um, where I just don't think this movie, if it came out today in the same way, would be as lauded oh. as it was in the mid nineties. Um, it just no. would have been, it's a different time, um, which is fine. Like that, that doesn't mean that the movie then can't work if you see it now. Um, no. I think humor can be outdated, but still be funny in, in the current, uh, current form. I mean, hell that to be or not to be movie was from the forties. And I literally, the first 15 minutes, I was, I was like almost crying. I was laughing so hard. And I was like, this is so freaking funny. Um, so I think that it can, you know, also be outside of its time, but no, I think you're hitting on it a lot about sense of when you saw it, how you saw it, um, being a big factor. I mean, all the movies that I list that I saw, you know, for the first time before I was 11, you know, right. 11, 12. That's a huge deal, exactly. And I think that's, yeah. uh, that's a big and part I of why. all of them at 40. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, all cool. right. Any, uh, any didn't almost made it, like movies that you wanted to put on but didn't make it? Yeah. I'm a big Steve Martin person, so uh -huh. that was a big toss-up for me. That, yeah. And I had to put The Birdcage because it started with that for me mm -hmm. but a lot of sort of the physical comedy aspects and the buffoonery of Steve Martin anything from uh house sitter to mm -hmm. uh the jerk um all oh, of yeah, that very funny to me yeah and then in the radio days vein you know broadcast news mm. um a lot of Noah Baumbach's movies um that owe to that kind of sense of humor which is sort of mundane day-to-day -day. yeah it's not laugh out loud but just sort of life going by so yeah those would be some other picks nice. yeah for me um you know I was mall rats I was really into Kevin Smith for a very long time and I think <laughs> that you know that movie captures a lot of uh his sensibilities a uh, basketball which is like a, a Zucker Brothers film with the um uh, creators of South Park, Spinal right. Tap, which almost made it. I mean, that was very hard to not put that on this list for me. I think I watched that actually in preparation for this too, again, three times because I couldn't get over how funny this oh thing gosh. was. I couldn't stop watching it. Um, Help, which is one of the Beatles films, uh, Bottle mm -hmm. Rocket from Wes Anderson, and then uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure um, and Beetlejuice. Both of those movies are, you know, Tim Burton's comedies that really like uh, were a big part of my sense of humor as well. That were hard to leave those off the list too, but I think they're encapsulated a little bit in, in UHF, both of mm -hmm. why those movies were so important to me, just that irreverent, different humor. But uh, yeah, cool. Well, uh, this was, again, really fun doing this episode because I got to, like, I spent so much time watching comedies that I hadn't seen in so long and watched them multiple times. It was just, it was just really fun. Um, and to be or not to be, I was very glad I saw that. And I would definitely, like, I want to watch more of, of his films now. And I 
And Carl Lombard too, to your point, she did just such a good job on that. I know she has a very short filmography because she passed away before her time, but um, I definitely want to dive more into that uh, for sure. So thanks for putting that film on the list. No, for sure. Uh, yeah, Lubitsch is up there for me. Yeah, I know. I got to watch more of the stuff. So, yeah. Um, well, that's our episode. Um, thank you for listening and, and laughing with us or maybe even at us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, either way is fine. Yeah. Either way is fine. We'll take it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, please uh, uh, subscribe, rate us, review us, and wherever you listen to our podcast. And until next time, uh, goodbye. Later. Later.